I'm Drew. I'm one of the pastors on staff with, with uh, Overlake Christian Church, and I oversee the Celebrate Recovery program. And on Tuesday nights, I typically introduce myself something like this. Hi, I'm Drew. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who's experiencing victory over drug addiction, sexual addiction, codependency, and I struggle with anger. Hi, Drew. All right, we got a few Celebrate Recovery people here, right? You see, over the last 34 years, God has done miraculous things in my life. He's delivered me from addiction, he's restored my marriage, and he's helped me to know who I am and why I exist. He's given me purpose. But you see, I also know I haven't arrived yet. So when I introduce myself, I'm celebrating what God has done in my life, but I'm also acknowledging that I'm a work in progress. And friends, there is no shame in admitting we're a work in progress. Because the purpose of our faith is not to pretend once we say yes to Jesus that we have no problems or struggles or fears or doubts. But it's meant to be a dynamic adventure of transformation. You see, Jesus made made this very cool promise in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But I particularly like the way the message phrases the next two verses, verses 29 and 30. And before I read it, I'd like you just all to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think and just kind of pretend that Jesus was speaking these words directly to you. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? And when you think about it, you see the imitation of Jesus is not for those who think they have it all together. But it's for those who are willing to admit They're overwhelmed and they're brokenhearted. Quite simply, his offer is, come as you are so that he can bring restoration to our lives. Yet it's so hard, isn't it? We're so afraid to admit that we struggle to ourselves, to God, or to anyone else, for that matter. We think that if anyone really knew my deepest, darkest secrets, my insecurities or my fears, They would abandon me. They wouldn't want to be near me. And I'd be an outcast. However, Jesus would tell you, don't worry about it. Come as you are. But you you don't know the nasty things that run through my head and the little habits or the, the, the struggles that I have. Again, the answer would be the same. Come as you are. Well, well, why? Because Jesus himself vows. That if we do, he will give us rest. He will give us and he will teach us those unforced rhythms of grace. And you just got to love that. You see, God's on a rescue mission. It tells us in scripture that the Lord is going, his spirit's going to and from the earth, looking for those that are his. He's looking to do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. He's drawing those near to him that are his. But sadly, it's our shame our pride, unwillingness to acknowledge our failures 
that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life that he promises. By way of comparison, I'd like to show you a video. Let's take a look.
notice the way the dog hid. It kept hiding and it, it resisted that gentle touch that was trying to rescue it, right? And we're all a bit like that dog, aren't we? The baggage we accumulate in our journey quite often limits us from believing that our life can be any different from what we've become familiar with. Or we get stuck experiencing life just in the here and now. Well-known Christian psychologist and author Henry Cloud points out that the things that people struggle with are generally not the things themselves. They're not the problems, but they're simply symptoms. The unhealthy ways the, the unhealthy ways people have learned to cope with the problems in their lives. Cloud goes on to point out that there are generally three reasons why people's thinking gets screwed up that ultimately leads to unhealthy behavior. The first is we try to get people to love us that don't know how to love. Truth be told, most of us have been trained to buy into a distorted view of what love really is. We spend large amounts of time, energy, and money trying to impress people so we can gain their approval. In fact, the vast majority of media, media in our society promotes a message that if we look a certain way, we wear specific types of clothes, drive certain kinds of cars, live in particularly uh, good kinds of neighborhoods, they will be loved and valued by those around us. However, the problem is that that kind of thinking creates a dependency on how other people's value us rather than on God who has created us with distinct purpose and design. Number two is the illusion that I'm alone and my success is up to me. In other words, I'm the master of my destiny. Think of the dog in the video for a minute. It was neglect and abandonment that eventually caused him to isolate. And it was his inability to trust that made it difficult for him to receive the help he truly needed. In a similar way, when we've been burned in past relationships, it's easy to buy in the illusion that we don't need anyone else in our lives. And that we could be happy and successful if we were just left alone. But friends, God has wired us all for relationship. And it's Isolation is not actually a solution, but it's part of the problem. Finally, Cloud points out that relying on overcoming our struggles by our willpower is illusory at best. Truth is, it was my best thinking that got me messed up in the first place. Using the example of the dog in the video, again, the dog couldn't change his condition by simply willing that the travel trailer that he was living under would miraculously turned into a five-star doggy hotel. Nor could he shed the layers of matted hair from his body that had been accumulated over time. Friends, this is exactly why we need a savior. You see, God simply isn't looking for us to clean up ourselves to come to him, but he's looking to do something for us, in us and through us, we cannot do for ourselves. Now, these aren't excuses for bad choices or to act inappropriately, but it points out that unless the root behind our behavior is dealt with, there's a greater tendency for us to continue along the very same path that will keep us in bondage. It also means that if you experienced abuse, neglect, or abandonment, and you're living with messages like, I'm not good enough, 
I don't measure up, I'm not loved, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, and I'm worthless, you can't just simply get over it. Now, most of the people here at Overlake Christian Church and Celebrate Recovery, we value and we love to hear people share their story, their faith journey of the things that God's done in, in, in their lives. So with that, I'd like to introduce a friend of mine named Greg to share his story. Give him a hand. Good morning, Overlake. My name is Greg. I am a forever grateful believer in Jesus. And uh, I am celebrating recovery over alcoholism, drug addiction, and sexual integrity issues. Howdy. And I'm going to be very remiss if I don't take the opportunity to give a shout out to my daughter's collegiate basketball team from Northwest Nazarene who's watching online. And I love you girls in McCall, Idaho, and to my sister and brother-in-law who's watching in Florida. I love you too. Oh, and my daughter's team will be GNAC champions this year, by the way. So when I was two, my dad died at the age of 29. Mom was ill-equipped to raise three kids on her own, and grandfather became our father figure. He died when I was 12. Both my father and grandfather were alcoholics whose drinking greatly contributed to their early demise. At that point, I gave up on people because they would die on you, and in many ways, I gave up on myself. This decision made it very hard to be parented or receive the direction and guidance I needed growing up. I started smoking, drinking, and using marijuana to numb my pain. I shoplifted, broke into businesses, stole cigarettes and alcohol, money, and prescription drugs from my mom. The chaos in my life escalated until I found myself locked up in juvie at age 14. Ultimately, I was placed in a group home where a Christian man named Nate told me that things didn't work out when I went home to give him a call. Because I did not possess the tools to make things work at home, after two months I gave him a call. I was 16 years old at this time. At Nate's house I was expected to attend school and youth group at church. Though I wanted it to work, I started skipping school and church until Nate intervened, deciding that I needed to work, get my GED, and join the military when I turned 17. When I joined the Navy, I naively believed I was escaping the temptations to drink and use drugs. However, it didn't take long to realize that wherever I went and whatever I did, there were always going to be people who were struggling with the same things I was, and they would be more than willing to join me. In the military, my out-of-control drinking continued, and I was introduced to cocaine, crystal meth, and heroin. It was also during this time I began using prostitutes to medicate my feelings of loneliness. My drinking led to a DWI, and the Navy ordered me into a two-month inpatient treatment program. After that, I began attending AA, but relapsed with both drugs and alcohol, so I got to do rehab again. Eventually, I met a woman who became my first wife, and she became pregnant. We both agreed to have an abortion, and this left me feeling deeply troubled. I believe it was at this time Jesus began knocking on the door of my heart, yet I was not quite ready to let him in. On November 26, 1986, 
after a series of events that included having my wife, who was seriously addicted to drugs, served with divorce papers the night before I was deployed overseas, learning she was seven months pregnant, and realizing I could fit everything I owned into a sea bag I could carry on my back, I got down on my knees onto the aircraft carrier I was on off the coast of Mombasa, Kenya, and accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And while that day marked the last day, I thought of ever using illegal drugs and even experienced nine years of not drinking, my journey of allowing Jesus to be the Lord of my life would come some years later. Surprisingly, I was granted an honorable discharge from the Navy, and my son was born two months later, completely healthy, a miracle, given both of our drug addictions. In spite of my newfound desire to pursue the Lord, my first wife would have none of it. We ultimately divorced. I was granted full custody of our son, and she disappeared from our lives completely. I attended AA, but never for an extended period of time. I wasn't until August of 2013 I finally realized I was powerless over my desire for alcohol. I found myself drinking on the way to work, drinking at lunch, and then again at night until I passed out. I knew I could not stop on my own. Then, two years ago, I walked through the doors to celebrate recovery. It, that's right. It always struck me as kind of funny that AA was founded on Christian principles, yet they avoided mentioning the name of Jesus, referring to scriptures, or speaking of his redemptive power to heal. At CR, I appreciate how God's word is used to teach people how to experience freedom over their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Not to mention the Christian fellowship at CR and here at Overlake that it's become very, very dear to me. Jesus knew all along that he had to take away from me. Let me start over. Jesus knew all along what he had to take away from me in order for me to be ready to accept him as Lord of my all. Today, my second wife, Barbara, and I have been together for 22 years. We have a blended family. That is God's work also. We have a blended family with one child we had together, my son from my first marriage and a daughter from her first marriage. I now live free of the guilt resulting from a life of brokenness. I am no longer over-concerned with others' opinions of me. I've stopped isolating hoping not to be noticed, and open up to myself to others and them to me. I'm taking the time to be in the Word, pray, and journal daily, and I am seeking ways to serve others to God's glory. And because Jesus has forgiven me and removed my shackles, I have learned to forgive myself. He has given me hope, and now I know I am truly free. You know, when you hear a testimony like Greg's and you hear a message given by the CR pastor on a special Sunday that's set aside to, to share or celebrate recovery, you know, you might be thinking, well, celebrate recovery is kind of about those people, you know, you, you know, those that are addicts. It's kind of like a be kind of addicts week, right? <laughs> but I would encourage you to see it as an opportunity to recognize that all of us struggle with any number of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and that we're all those people. 
In fact, I would tell you that only 25% of those that come to celebrate recovery are actually struggling with addictive behaviors. Oh, sure, you may not be struggling with drugs or alcohol or sexual integrity issues, but you might be living with constant insecurity, the need to please people or guilt over past behavior or decisions. Or maybe you're struggling with depression, grief or loss, the inability to draw healthy boundaries in your life. Or it might be control, fear, unforgiveness, materialism, perfectionism, or damage caused from abuse or a broken relationship. Whatever the struggle, friends, there's no shame in admitting it because the call of Jesus remains the same for everyone. Come as you are. For many of, of us who have been raised in the church, it's even harder to admit that we have struggles, isn't it? Because we have been conditioned to maintain faces, perfect appearances, where we say and do all the right things for fear that we would be exposed and have to deal with shame. Right now, I'd like you to hear a different story from a friend of mine, Christy. She was raised in the church, and she too found out she didn't have to carry the burden. Good morning. My name is Christy. I am a grateful believer in Jesus, and I'm experiencing victory over codependency, resentment, fear, and emotional eating. Hi, guys. I'm the youngest of five children. I'm a third-generation PK, or what's known as a preacher's kid. We were a well-respected family. I spent many hours each week on Sundays, Wednesday nights, Thursdays, for choir practice, Bible study, etc. at the church. I was a church kid. From the outside, we had the appearance of being the perfect, loving, happy pastor's family. However, things are not always what they appear from the outside. My father, as a minister, accomplished amazing things for the kingdom of God. However, he was emotionally unavailable to me and his five children. I never recall hearing the words addressed to me by my father, I love you. He showed no emotion to me, didn't want to spend time with me, really didn't want to have a relationship with me. The attention I received was entirely based on performance, achievements, and keeping up appropriate appearances. My mother's a godly woman, and she taught me that being a godly woman meant always putting on a happy face, never expressing negative feelings, having no identity of your own, and that being the wife of a minister was the highest calling a woman of God could fulfill. At the age of about four, I asked Jesus into my heart. However, for most of my life, I viewed my relationship with God as a reflection of my relationship with my earthly father. As a, as a result, I was confused regarding my feelings towards God. I would sing the songs in Sunday school, like, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, but I felt God merely tolerated my existence and that he was disappointed in me. Messages that I was not good enough, smart enough, worthwhile, or lovable were ingrained pretty early on in life for me. I was taught that being a Christian meant keeping up the happy, pure, holier-than-thou appearance rather than having the loving, close, personal relationship with God that he desires. I was the perfect picture of the good Christian girl, but I felt like a fraud inside, and I was terrified that anyone would find out. 
Because attention and performance were how we got approval in my family, as I grew into my teen and young adult years, I became an overachiever. I competed in and won speech, vocal, and academic events. I was on the honor roll, student council. I was a leader in my youth groups. I was a varsity cheerleader, and in my senior year of high school, I competed in and won a modeling contest and was signed to an agency. As a singer, I participated in, in numerous vocal ensembles. I was a featured soloist in many churches and Christian events and on Christian television programs. At the ripe old age of 20, I married my best friend and sweetheart. He was the youth pastor of our church serving under my father. For the first time, I had that unconditional love of someone who valued and adored me just for who I was. I put all of my hopes and dreams into my relationship with my husband. We went off to Bible college and eventually planted a young and growing congregation ourselves. Again, from the outside, my life looked like the perfect picture of what a good Christian girl's life should be. And now I was fulfilling that highest calling of God that a woman could have. I was a pastor's wife. However, my seemingly perfect life was about to be shattered. After almost 10 years of marriage, I made the horrible and very painful discovery that my best friend, my pastor husband, had for years struggled with sexual addiction, and he had been unfaithful to our wedding vows. At first, I thought if I just loved him enough, forgave him enough, and did everything right, that my love could save our marriage, and I could save him from his addictive behaviors. And I continue to wear that everything is okay mask for everyone else, but my pain, shame, and depression was crushing me on the inside. In spite of my best efforts, my husband eventually chose his addictive lifestyle, abandoning the ministry, marriage, and me. My old messages of I am not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, worthwhile, or lovable hit me tenfold. The emotional shame and pain of becoming a divorcee that I was now feeling was almost unbearable. I lost any hope for my future and felt like all the years of, of serving and training up in ministry were wasted. And what was worse, my lifelong ability to wear my good Christian girl everything is okay mask was no longer working. Clearly, I didn't feel uh, safe turning to a pastor for emotional support and guidance, so I found a 12-step recovery program. At first, I was terrified. How could I reveal who I was and how I really felt? But for the first time in my life, I found a place and people where I could cry out, I am not okay. I am hurting. I feel totally broken and alone, and I don't know what to do. The support and acceptance I received there was really amazing. No one told me the old phrases I used to hear like, you just need to pray about it more, or your faith must not be strong enough. These people just listened, accepted me, and assured me that I was not alone. As I sat in those groups, pouring out my heart, and listening to others share their hurts and how they found hope and healing, I began to find hope and healing too. Through progressively working the 12 steps, I began to experience God's love, grace, joy, and peace, for real. <laughs> I began to find my own true identity in Christ, not the one I had always put on from the outside. 
The Lord worked on my healing in so many miraculous ways. I wish I had time to tell you the stories. And even though I had been deeply hurt, the Lord might re restored my ability to trust, to love others, and to receive love. I have learned how to let go of my pain and resentments and how to forgive. It hasn't been an overnight process, but the Lord has given me new life, new hope for my future and new love. And eventually the Lord brought my husband Floyd and I together. Today, we serve on the leadership team and the worship team at Overlake's Celebrate Recovery. He is the guy standing on the left to me this, uh, when we're singing. In Joel 2.25, it says, And I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. At Celebrate Recovery, we use the phrase, God never wastes a hurt. But I'm here to tell you that God never wastes anything. God is the great recycler. He has gathered up all my talents, gifts, and abilities he has given me, and all the pain, brokenness, and struggles of my life. He has taken them apart, reshaped them, and has turned me into a new creation. Now, I am not perfect, and the Lord continues to work on me and gently show me those areas where I still need to grow and change. Through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, I have the tools and the honest relationships to support me in the changes God still wants to make in my life. I have hope, joy, and a true identity in Christ. At Celebrate Recovery, we say, it's okay not to be okay, but you don't have to stay that way. I am so grateful to now know that I am loved, cherished, and valued by my Heavenly Father, and that God wants to be in a deep, personal relationship with me. You see, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am good enough, worthwhile, valued, and loved just as I am, brokenness and all. And in closing, I'd just like to say, so are you. Thank you for letting me share. Wow. What a contrast, yeah? yeah? Friends, I could speak for every pastor and elder here at Overlake Christian Church. We would never want anybody here to feel like they have to maintain appearances so that they fit in. That's churchianity. We want everybody to live in honest relationship with themselves and each other as we go hard after God and pursue that path of dynamic transformation. And as I close this morning, I'd like to share an acrostic for what rest looks like within a healthy church community. The R in rest stands for in healthy churches, people can be real with themselves, God, and others about their struggles and their brokenness. They don't have to put on faces. In Jeremiah 6.14, it reminds us that you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. So why would we go on pretending like we don't have wounds in our lives, right? The E points to the fact that those in healthy church communities can empathize with each other as they grow in their faith journey. I've been through struggles in my life, and God's done amazing things. And I can't help but share that with others. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to God the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's pretty cool, right? The S in our acrostic stands for it's safe for people to be messy. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 tells us what love is. See, love's not a warm, mushy feeling. Love isn't when everything's going right that we love. It's when everything's really hard. That's when we continue to give love. It says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You see, friends, love is a giving action. Then finally, the T in our acrostic for rest represents that the reality is that in healthy churches, people are being transformed. And as a result, they bear witness of God's presence and power. That's the wonderful thing about Overlake Christian Church, is that people are seeing lives being transformed and changed. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul starts out and he says, I urge you, brethren. The word he uses in the Greek is the most powerful word he could have used. He's saying, I'm begging with you. I'm begging with you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of God's mercy, present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices because that's your acceptable service of worship. He goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind because it proves what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. When God changes a life, friends, you can't just attribute that to willpower. My life transformation occurred, and I think my closest friends around me were asking, what happened to you? We knew you. We used to hang with you. And I actually had friends say, Drew, uh, you know, you're our friend and all, but you were actually a bit of a jerk. What happened? God did a work in my life, and it became evident to the world around me. Question, what kind of church do you want to be? You see, in healthy churches, everyone realizes life is messy. And it's understood that we're all broken and we struggle with stuff. In unhealthy churches, everyone needs to put on a face. They need to pretend and they need to assume some position of perfection that they don't struggle with anything at all. Because you see, if they did admit that they had problems, that would be a problem right? In healthy churches, people place their confidence in a God who is the author and perfecter of their faith. They accept that the good work that God begins in them, he is faithful to complete until his return. And they love each other in spite of their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. In unhealthy churches, people have to work harder to look a certain way so they will be accepted. What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? Because, friends, the church isn't the building, in, the building in which we hang out. It's us, God's people. So if you want to be part of a healthy church, the next question is obvious. How honest 
are you willing to be about your own stuff, your own struggles, your own hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Because you see, if none of us is ever willing to admit that we grow weary or burdened by our own brokenness or the brokenness that we experience around us, then why would anyone on the outside believe we have anything that they would want to possess? And why would they want to enter into our community? Don't you see the call of Jesus starts with us. It begs, come as you are. All of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And he wants to send us out with an invitation to a world that is struggling in need of hope. Come as you are. If you're weary or you're burdened, I will give you rest. Come as you are. Perhaps today you can relate to certain aspects of Greg's story. It might be you're dealing with abandonment issues or neglect from your past. or, Or you might be in bondage to some habitual behavior or addictive pattern. And you know God speaking to you right now. He's inviting you. Right now in your chair, he's saying, come as you are. I will give you rest. And as you walk with me, you will learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And as you do, you will experience freedom, hope, and purpose for your life you never believed possible. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life, like Christy. And you've heard the message, you've sang the songs, but you've never felt God's love personally. You've never felt like you fit in. You felt like you could be honest about your hurts or your struggles or your fears. And you've been stuffing your feelings and you've been living behind the mask of perfection out of fear of not being accepted, valued, or loved. To you, he's saying, take off the mask. Come as you are. You're my son. You're my daughter, and I love you. And it's not what you do that makes you special. It's who I've already created you to be. Friends, the truth is, there are no perfect people. We're all strugglers navigating our way through a world of brokenness. And we're all broken. What fears, doubts, habits, or hang-ups have you been carrying that you know are weighing you down and keeping you from experiencing God's very best in your life. Wherever you're at, the message is simple. All who are weary, all who are burdened, come as you are, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, As we come into this place, God, so often it's easy to be consumed by fear that if we were real, we would be on the outside. It's so easy to hear a message about Celebrate Recovery and see it as those people over there. But Lord, you make it obvious through your word, we're all those people. We're either getting on or off the stretcher at any number of points in our lives. We all struggle with habits and hurts and hang-ups. We can all struggle with unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and fear. And Lord, the call that you give us is not to change ourselves to be more acceptable, but to be honest about our condition. 
that you could do a work for us, in us, and through us we could never do for ourselves. God, as a community of believers, we don't need to fear that. We can embrace it because our confidence is in you, Jesus. So Lord, whatever the situation that someone's in today, God, I pray you would meet them in that place, that you'd speak to their heart, that you'd recognize that you already love them and you embrace them, and that your yoke is easy, that you desire to give them rest, that they would know the unforced rhythms of grace. Lord, we embrace that message today as a people, as a community, and we pray it would permeate through all of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.